0: Hey, did you see the super blue blood moon last night? What? Super blood blue moon? It was a lunar eclipse. I'm tired of all these people just saying, let's go to see the super blood blue moon. Ooh, the super moon. Ooh, the blood moon. (laughs) Whatever. It was just a lunar eclipse.
1: I think we're live.
0: Are we? I think so. Okay.
1: Um... Hi, I'm Kirsten Banks.
0: And I'm Angel Lopez Sanchez. And, and we, we are, are the, the scientists.
1: <laughs> so how about that? Just a lunar eclipse last week on Hell.
0: Oh my good! We'll start talking about that. Did you see it?
1: I saw glimpses, and I tell you, I was very excited when I saw those glimpses.
0: Yeah, I saw a tweet of you running <laughs> in your in your home and just as crazy, saying, "Hey, there is a bit of a sky there. We can see the moon."
1: Yep. So what happened was I had my friends over and we were going to go out and watch the moon while I was on radio as well. And it was, comes to about 9.30 in the evening and I go outside just to check, oh, what are the clouds doing? It's meant to be mostly clear, a 47% cloud cover, mostly clear, but anyway. And I go outside and it's fully clouded over and I just slump back into the house and just slump back onto the couch and watch TV and just, ah, oh, sad. But then my housemate comes out and says, Hey, Kirsten, you can see the moon from here. And I perk up and run through the house like you saw in that little video.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and you saw it a bit.
1: We did. Ah. Oh, my goodness. It was so amazing.
0: So how many lunar eclipses have you seen in the past?
1: I remember seeing one when I was very young. My parents woke me up in the middle of the night. It's like, come look at this. It's red. Like, Whoa.
0: Okay, that is also why you were so excited. And again, why, you know, old people are... Or, were, or we were not that excited about that. Now, I have seen some few of them, I mm-hmm. have to say. I also see it a bit within the clouds. We said here that uh, I was expecting to get photos and a time-lapse, and yeah. I really, really, really want to get a time-lapse, a full Sequence of the moon entering into the earth's shadow. Oh,
1: that would have been get, awesome.
0: Getting red and being red and changing a bit the colour, orange-red, and then appearing again the light as the moon is leaving the earth's shadow. But, well, we have to wait for the next lunar eclipse.
1: Which isn't too far away, if we don't mind travelling.
0: No, well, um, actually, I think I might be in Spain. No way. Yeah, I might be. Although, uh, perhaps I'm traveling or flying that very same night from Spain to Australia. <laughs> I have to wow. check.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, my dad was talking to me the other day and saying, well, what if you guys just got a couple of friends together, put in a bit of money to hire a plane for the night and watch it from above the clouds?
0: Uh, well, I know that that has been done in the past for solar eclipses. Oh, and they have okay. actually uh, prepared and organized uh, private flights mm-hmm. just to be sure that you're observing the solar eclipse from above from the clouds and actually, if you are following the path of the totality you can watch it
1: for longer you can
0: watch it for longer Wow and then also getting very uh, amazing views of mm. the of the solar eclipse uh, if I remember properly one of the most amazing images of the I don't remember if it was the last GR solar eclipse in, in the U.S. or mm-hmm. I think it was a couple of years ago. in the north of Europe, it was in the Arctic. One of the most amazing images that I saw from, from that solar eclipse was actually made by a teenager in a commercial oh. flight, huh. with the phone. And wow, It was really, really nice. Anyway, as, as <clears throat> we were discussing before, um, um, and I didn't realize we were recording, <laughs> um, I think, I really think that all the... Uh, it have been a bit too hyped in the media. That is my consideration, what has been happening with the lunar eclipse, because they were naming the, num- the, the lunar eclipse as the super black blue moon, mm-hmm. or whatever combination of these... Super Blue Blood Moon or Blue Super Blood Moon or whatever.
1: (laughs) So many names.
0: But, um, and I was complaining, of course, social media is for complaining (laughs) a lot about all of that, particularly because these news were not explaining the facts, the real science. That's
1: true. They weren't really explaining what was actually happening. They were just saying, wow, it's a super blue blood moon.
0: What of it? Exactly. That we explained with all the details in the previous episode. That's right. So So please... Go listen to that yep. if you want to hear more. But I also realized of something. And and then I wanted to use the power of social media to ask a couple of questions, particularly one, and to test my hypothesis, because mm-hmm. I had an hypothesis. My hypothesis was the following. At least in Twitter, young astronomers and science communicators seem to prefer, or at least are less molested with the term super blue blood moon than all astronomers and science communicators.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That was my hypothesis. I wanted to test it as a scientist. And that is why I actually did that. And result, after 580 people who, thank you very much. Um, I was one of them. You were one <laughs> of them. Thank you. Uh, helped answering this, uh, this question. It was very interesting to see, because I divided between if you are young and old, in the sense of if you are 32 for younger, one category, Mm -hmm. 33 and older, another category. Well, I actually found that that was actually real because the ratio between, yes, I like, no, I don't like, is 25% for young people, Mm -hmm. but only 15% for old people. So it seems that it's also a bit of generational, Mm. this kind of thing. Yeah young people, for example, you...
1: That's right. I am one of the minorities on that yeah. list. <laughs> you, you
0: you were um, I'm very excited about that, and I was talking to other young people, and actually that discussion and that idea came through a discussion in Twitter about uh, all this, and they were very excited also about that. And then I also ask a few other questions um, um, at the end the results that uh, the people were providing the feedback that i was getting it is that although you can get extra attention particularly by media if you are naming this event as a super black blue moon the result that you get it is that people are confused and you are mixing science and pseudoscience
1: well, that's a that's a very good point, actually.
0: Yeah. So a bit of people suggested that uh, doing this also encouraged people to look at the sky. Mm-hmm, definitely. A little, a little fraction. That is, yes, a good thing. But the majority of the of the people, and I will say that it was more than sixty percent.
1: Wow, that's a big number. That
0: is a big number. Is that is not good? That media and. Even us astronomers and science communicators are using this kind of names.
1: Well, mm, that's the thing that they don't—they don't describe what it is.
0: No, it is only in the title.
1: Mm.
0: And something else that I would like to add it is that, really, I got the proof that people were confused,
1: mm-hmm.
0: particularly as students. For example. Astronomer Tanya Hill, that she's working at Melbourne Planetarium Science Works, mm-hmm. a good friend of mine, sent another tweet saying, My son overheard two kids in the bus yesterday. First kid, I tried to see the super blood blue moon last night. Second kid, yeah, it was just a moon, nothing special. My son, but did you see the total lunar eclipse? The two kids, the what? <laughs> and... And it was not the only case. I was also talking to some uh, students in Spain during the week because I have been giving some video conferences in schools and I received the same question. What happened to the moon? What was that? And they didn't know at the end, they didn't know that what was actually happening was a lunar eclipse.
1: Mm, I I had a Skype a scientist session the day after on the Thursday and I was Skyping... Uh, somewhere in China, a classroom in China, and they had seen it and they were asking what was actually happening. I mean, there were a group of primary schoolers, so they were always interested anyway. But that's the whole point. Like, we need to actually talk about what's going on, not just give it a fancy name.
0: Exactly, yeah. Mm. So it's a great opportunity for encouraging people to look at the sky. It is a special phenomenon. It is just a lunar eclipse, Mm -hmm. although we don't need the hype of advertising it. My, in my opinion, because at the end, we are going to get confusion. That's right. Okay, well, so far, that is the uh, feedback. Ah, sorry, we f- we didn't say that that is our section feedback.
1: Yes, so we'll start off every episode with a little bit of a recap from last episode. If we ask you a question at the end of the previous episode, we'll answer it. We'll get your answers and hopefully answer some questions you send us as well. So we asked you a question last episode uh, to tell us, what stars are in the Southern Cross constellation? Unfortunately, we didn't get a lot of replies, but we mm. found out
0: ourselves. Okay, yeah, we we have to work on that. Mm. Please, listeners and followers, mm, we will really like to get your feedback and your wisdom when, you know, asking questions and trying to get uh, your thoughts about the things and the things that we are talking about. I That's right. It would
1: be good. I mean, whenever I go on a tour, well, whenever I lead a tour at Sydney Observatory, I always warn my tour guests if you don't ask me questions, I will ask you questions. So.
0: Exactly, yeah.
1: Take it as you like, work (laughs) guys.
0: So, what are the names?
1: So, we already discussed one name, the little star, Ginan. We -hmm. discussed that at length a couple of episodes ago. We have Acrox, which is the bottom star of the cross, the
0: brightest one. The brightest one,
1: also known as Alpha Crucis. Hence Acrox, kind of like a mix between the names there. We also have Mimosa, oh, the leftmost yeah. star. That's actually the name of my primary school that oh, I went to. Oh, good, yeah.
0: good. I, always, I have always liked that that name. It is a very, very nice name. Great
1: name. a great name of a tree, great name of a public school, and a great name of a drink.
0: Oh, oh I didn't know about the drink. Mm. Well, I will ask you more
1: later. <laughs> and then we have the top one is Gay crocs, and the right one is just normally Delta Crucis, but... It has another name, we, too. Yeah,
0: I found a name, usually in Portuguese, which is called Pálida. Oh. I didn't know about that. It was just a bit of internet research.
1: It's a wonderful name. It just rolls right off the tongue. Pálida.
0: Pálida pa- means the pale one. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Interesting. Perhaps because it is dimmer than the other, f- the other three, but not considering Guinan. I don't mm. know.
1: So there you go, those are the star names of the main stars in the Southern Cross constellation.
0: Mm-hmm. And before we m- move on to the next section, I want to emphasize that it will be great if we get your questions. So don't be afraid if you want to record by yourself with your phone a question and send it that to us, and then we will try to answer that question in, in a coming episode.
1: Yes, we can include your very voice in our podcast how cool would that be now for our next segment what's up and we're including our what's up segment today within our entire topic and i think our what's up is very exciting we're going to be talking about one of my favorite 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 objects in the night sky which is up in these evenings skies Mm -hmm. it is the great the wonderful the magnificent orion nebula
0: (laughs) The Orion Nebula. Mm. And the other good thing it is that as this object, it is in the equator, you can see it from both hemispheres. Right? That's right. From the northern hemisphere, from the southern hemisphere. So can you tell us a bit about what the Orion Nebula is and why you are so excited about this object? Now this
1: Orion Nebula, for those who don't know what a nebula is, it's essentially a massive cloud of interstellar dust and gas. This particular dust cloud is so big That if you wanted to travel from one end all the way over to the other, traveling at the speed of light, it would take you 25 years. Wow. So it's 25 light years wide. That's huge. That's quite the road trip, if you ask me. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, it is.
1: (laughs) But the other great thing about this nebula is that, well, it's made of lots of gas, right? What are stars made of? Gas. Yes. This gas cloud actually makes stars.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Nebula, and particularly the Orion Nebula, are the regions in the universe where stars are formed and stars are born. And solar systems are also created. That's right. So that is why studying this kind of objects, it is so important for astronomers.
1: Mm. And it looks fantastic through a telescope. Oh, my goodness. It's my favourite thing to show people at Sydney Observatory. It just looks gorgeous.
0: Yeah, because, well, you can see it nicely even with moderate to high light pollution. Mm. So it is it is it is there. You for sure will be able to identify the four stars the trapezium, in the in the center of the of the nebula. Yes. These stars are just baby stars basically. Mm. They it were... kinda looks
1: like a cross actually. Yeah it is
0: a kind mm. of a cross. Mm. Yeah. They were born just a million years ago or oh, less. Or just, only a million years yeah, ago. Yeah, nothing for, for, for astronomy standards, of course.
1: Considering our sun is 5 billion years old and it's in its mid-life crisis.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, th- luckily, it is not in a crisis. No, no. Although many people would like to. <clears throat> anyway. Um, and what else about the uh, Orion Nebula? So observing it, it is definitely a must using mm-hmm. a amateur telescope when yep. you are under clear skies far from the light pollution and please, please do it mm-hmm. because it is one of the most magnificent objects in the night sky.
1: It sure is and it's pretty easy to find as well. For those in the southern, southern hemisphere uh, and the northern hemisphere, you'll find Orion's belt. Most people can find that quite easily. Three stars in a nice little line and For the southern hemisphere, it's above the third, if you're counting from left to right, it's above the third star. So there's also this constellation called the saucepan. So Orion's belt makes up the base of the saucepan, and then Orion's nebula is the handle of the saucepan. Although personally, I think it looks more like a shopping trolley.
0: Okay, well, it is interesting because I have known this asterism that you are referring to, that is the three stars of the, the Orion belt and the Orion nebula and, and some of other smaller stars, mm-hmm. as uh, the Venus mirror, or the mirror of Venus. Ah, uh, like
1: yes, that. I remember you telling me about this. Yeah,
0: that, one of the names that have been given to this kind of... Not constellations, because the constellation is Orion, mm-hmm. but you can still draw your own sketches or thoughts in the stars, and that was... One particular yeah. and famous one that has been still there for, for a while. But the thing is that even if you are in moderate light polluted areas, you can see it with your naked eye.
1: Yeah, I can see it with my naked eyes at um, Sydney Observatory.
0: Yeah, you can see from there. I remember mm. I was very surprised to see it there in the very city centre, mm-hmm. um, Circular Quay and the Opera House.
1: Yes, actually, I remember one time it was at... New Year's Eve two years ago, or three years, uh, two years ago. And my friends and I were at this bar in the rocks. And I remember looking up and I was like, oh, hey, that's Orion. Oh, look, that's the nebula. Nebula. Awesome.
0: Awesome. yeah, Better than
1: any fireworks display.
0: Yeah, no fireworks in that moment. (laughs) Weird. So, um, yes. um, But again, I insist, have a look to it through a telescope. And if you are using... uh, telescope that is big enough mm-hmm. you will see the real color of the orion nebula which is
1: well it looks blue to me when i look through a telescope yeah,
0: blue for you
1: yeah but all the all the photos on the internet like eso and nasa they in the hubble they have it like pinky purple
0: pinky purple yeah. reddish reddish yes well for us if you are looking through a telescope that has a mirror mirror because no lenses for this um mm. uh, more that half a meter in size, and that is an experience that I recommend you to have from time to time, you will realize that the color that you see in the Orion Orion Nebula is green. What? It's green. Green? No, it's not green. The Orion Nebula is green.
1: I don't believe that. Yes.
0: Yes. And that is actually a consequence of what is happening in the Orion Nebula,
1: Okay, so why is it green then?
0: First, our eyes are not used to, or not used that they they, we don't even have the the proper sensitivity to see colors in astronomy. Unless Mm -hmm. you are using, uh, you can do the contrast, for example, in double stars, that you can see one blue and the other red. Usually, you see just the gray scale. But the Orion Nebula is bright enough to try to give you a bit of the impression of color, Hmm. and the color. The, the majority of that part of light the green light, it is actually coming from the gas emitting in there in the Royal Nebula not hydrogen but oxygen Really? Yeah, there are two very bright oxygen lines emission lines I mean we are trying to be a bit technical here uh. features in the light of the nebula and in the galaxies too and that is also very important for the kind of research I do because these two emission lines the oxygen three forbidden lines are very very important for studying um, the chemistry and the physical properties of nebulas and galaxies.
1: Yes well I was about to ask actually what does what do these emission lines actually represent for this nebula?
0: They were actually first discovered in the Orion Nebula, and at the beginning of the spectroscopy in the late 19th century, they thought that it was a new element that was not in the Earth, and it was called th- these lines were called nebulium because of the nebula. Of
1: course, yes. But then,
0: with new um, studies and with a proper understanding of the uh, quantum physics in particular, to reproduce these kind of features. We actually realized that are a kind of features, emission lines, that appear in uh, oxygen atoms. Let's say that properly. Oxy- oxygen ions mm. in some characteristics that can be only obtained in very low density in, in the space. So these this kind of feature are very difficult to obtain in laboratories on the Earth. But they are very easily seen in the space because very low density, only 100 to 1000 particles per centimetre square, sorry, centimetres cube, so not that much. Mm. And those lines are actually very, very, very intense, much more intense than the famous H-alpha, hydrogen alpha, that uh, is very famous in the red, that is the one that is giving you the red color Mm -hmm. in the photograph. So for our eyes, if you have a big telescope and you can see the are nebula, you will see more green color than red color.
1: I'll have to have a look at that next time we have just, a look.
0: Just try, just try. It.
1: Hopefully uh, it's clear on Saturday night and I can give it a try.
0: Um, you also need a very good contrast with the background.
1: Oh, okay. So
0: I have only seen it in the green color only a couple of times mm-hmm. with a big telescope, half a meter telescope, okay. and yep. in narrow bright. Dark, dark Dark sky. sky. Yeah, gotcha. But I know that other people have also been able to see the green green colour.
1: I might give my tour guests a bit of a challenge. Can you see green in the Orion Nebula? You
0: can definitely Mm.
1: do that. Mm. Okay, well, since we're talking about star formation, how does a star form in a nebula like the Orion Nebula?
0: Well, I think that you are going to answer that question.
1: Well, I can. I can. I remember from my uh, astrophysics course last semester, I can remember a few different things. But essentially, it's just gravity, right?
0: It's gravity. You,
1: you You have gas. Each little particle has its own gravitational pull. The gas is more dense in other regions and less dense in other regions. So the denser regions have more gravity. And so more and more particles gravitate towards these denser regions that eventually form big balls of gas that are hot enough dense enough, hot enough to emit their own light and go through fusion, turning light elements into heavier elements, and then bippity-boppity-boo, you have a star.
0: And from one nebula, you will not get only one star. You will get plenty of stars.
1: Yes, so once all of the the gas is exhausted into stars, you then have what's called a star cluster.
0: A star cluster.
1: Mm, Like the Pleiades, also known as Subaru for those who don't know straight away what uh, we're talking about when you say the Pleiades.
0: <laughs> Subaru, the car, have five of the seven mm-hmm. bright stars in the Pleiades That's as, right. as logo. So yeah. I
1: love pointing that out
0: mm. Many on people, a tour. It's so funny. It's always uh, people are, ah. And again, it is another example of the love that humans have for the stars. Mm. Um, I want to go back to talking about how stars are formed and that particularly that you get many stars mm-hmm. from the gas that is condensing, collapsing, auto-gravitating and fusing at the end to form stars. Yeah. Because I think it is something very important, particularly for for astronomy and later to understand galaxy evolution, that from that nebula, from a particular nebula or star forming region, you're going to have plenty of stars. Mm-hmm. And some of them would be massive stars, some few of them will be very massive stars. The majority will be kind of solar-like stars with that kind of range of masses around the sun mass. But we will also get plenty of red dwarf stars, smaller than the the sun, Mm -hmm. and even planets and so on.
1: That's right. So we're basically saying we get a lot of different types of stars Mm -hmm. when when a nebula like this
0: collapses. Exactly.
1: And from memory, it's the initial mass function.
0: You mentioned that. Yes. The IMF, the initial mass function. That Mm. is a key piece for modeling galaxies. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have to use that many times in my research. (laughs) Um, and, and, And I can also tell you that we still don't understand well how that is working because we can only measure the initial mass function of stars of nebula around the sun because we can count stars we can say there are 100 stars of more or less than the mass of the sun and only five stars that are 10 times the mass of the sun Mm. and so on and you build this kind of diagram but we can't do that in distant galaxies or even in nearby galaxies so we still don't know if it is universal Is this kind of way of forming stars is universal, that we call mm. the salpiter IMF. Or it is variable and depends of, on other factors.
1: But even before the IMF, we have the genes mass
0: exactly. of the nebula, which mm-hmm. is
1: essentially for our listeners, the genes mass is the critical mass of a nebula that will allow it to collapse on itself and actually make stars.
0: In the moment that that auto-gravitating gas is more massive than the genes mass, Mm -hmm. then it will actually collapse and form a new star. Well, not a new star, it will form a cluster. The other important thing, Mm -hmm. it is that the massive stars, they are only few. They're not that easy to get. For example, in the Orion Nebula, the majority of them actually are gone, but they are very few, Mm -hmm. very massive stars. But these massive stars are playing a huge role in galaxy evolution and actually in the evolution of all the stars around Mm -hmm. them. Because the more massive you are, the quicker you consume the fuel that yes. you have.
1: that's right.
0: A star that is around 10 times the mass of the sun will explode as a supernovae in just a few million years, mm. which again, it is just nothing.
1: Yeah, it's a very, very short lifetime for stars.
0: Yeah, it is very, 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 they are very short-lived. But exploding as supernovae, they are going to inject a lot of energy into the circumstellar medium. Mm-hmm. And they are also going to do something very special these massive stars. Very massive stars are also very hot and they emit a lot of radiation in ultraviolet frequencies. We see these stars of course, but we only see let's say from the blue to the red, but the maximum of the emission of these very massive stars is in a color that, that is bluer than our blue, which is the ultraviolet. Mm-hmm. This radiation has a very interesting property that is able to collide with the atoms of the gas, of the diffuse gas. And that is actually the reason why nebula, star-forming nebula, are shining. Because of the effect and iteration of the light, ultraviolet light mm-hmm. emitted by the many massive stars into the gas. Wow. That's awesome. We are using that trick continuously in astronomy, and I will insist that is my own research because for that we can use the same tracers and the same analysis that we do for studying nearby nebula to studying star forming regions in nearby galaxies or even star forming regions and stars that have been forming in very, very, very old galaxies at the beginning of the time, because we can identify these kind of features, the lines that I was telling you before, mm. the oxygen lines, the hydrogen alpha line, or many other lines, and we can estimate the physical properties and also the chemical composition of the universe is evolving, in the sense that as stars that form and dying, we are getting an enrichment of the interstellar medium with heavy elements. And um, for astronomers, heavy elements are everything that are not hydrogen and helium.
1: That's right. You have hydrogen, you have helium,
0: and then you have metals. And we have That's metals. <laughs> yeah, that it is. That it is what we have. We are very easy. The, our periodic table, and there is a joke around there, that is just hydrogen, helium, and the rest, metals.
1: Yeah, so if you don't like chemistry as much as other chemists would, come into astronomy. Yeah, it's
0: good. Although you will also need a lot of knowledge from chemistry and from (laughs) quantum mechanics in order that you can get into the details.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) But as I was saying, observing star-forming regions in galaxies and in distant galaxies are providing us a very interesting way of learning about the evolution of the universe and the chemical evolution of the universe in particular. And I insist, that is my own research topic. (laughs)
1: we'll have to revisit that for a whole episode one time soon yeah
0: no we have to because there are plenty of things that we can be saying about that Mm. two more things because we're starting to be talking a bit too much half an hour or so
1: (laughs) (laughs) we like to talk a lot (laughs) yeah we are
0: talking and talking we didn't mention the name of the Orion Nebula you look into a catalogue
1: that's right, and I know you know this one very well. I know one of them, and you know the other one very well. You know. The one I know very well is M42 from and the Messier Catalogue.
0: We will talk about that eventually, although many of you probably know what we are talking about, the Messier Catalogue. Mm-hmm. But the other one, it is the NGC, which stands for New General Catalogue, NGC Ish. 1976. And it is one of the few NGC objects that are almost 7,000s. That I know, because that was the year I was born. <laughs> so That's
1: an easy way to remember.
0: It is. We also didn't mention that we have measured that the distance from the Earth to the Orion Nebula, it is around 1,344 light years away. Mm-hmm. That means that the light that you are observing, when you are observing the Orion Nebula, started to travel 1,344 years ago. That's right. A lot of So
1: when we look at this object through a telescope today, we're actually seeing it as it was 1,300 years ago.
0: Exactly, yeah. Thereabouts. When we were starting, like, ages, yeah. something yeah. like that. Yeah. And the last thing, we were talking about stars and formation of the stars. We have seen this kind of cocoons that are formed with the gas condensing to form stars in the rarer Nebula. That was one of the huge discoveries by Hubble Space Telescope, mm-hmm. just perhaps even more than 20 years ago. These kind of objects that are called proplets. I don't heard? think I've
1: heard of those before.
0: Proplets. Mm. These are these kind of cocoons. So Using infrared colors, we have seen that there is a kind of a disk inside. There are some few animations of the Orion Nebula created by uh, supercomputers and I think NASA that are showing very nicely the, 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 the three-dimensional structure of the Orion Nebula and mm-hmm. you see all these kind of proplets and where located. But there is a disk of material around around it. It is a protostar, and in that disk, planets are formed. Mm. We know that that is happening in in the Orion Nebula.
1: Wow. More planets to explore. Yay!
0: (laughs) More, plenty of, plenty of planets. Questions. What is your favorite star cluster?
1: Mm. Mine is the Omega Centauri star cluster. Now, we didn't really talk too much about this type of star cluster, but it is definitely my favorite because... To be honest, I think we should rename it to the Oh My God Centauri Star Cluster, <laughs> because this thing is 150 light years in diameter and contains over 10 million stars. It is huge.
0: Yeah, but it was not a question for you. It was a question for the audience.
1: <laughs> I get excited. <laughs> yeah, I, know, I know
0: you were <laughs> excited. I know. I know. No, that's fine. That was actually the question for, for our listeners and followers for the next episode. Mm. Can you provide your feedback about what is your favorite star cluster? And Christine mentioned Omega Centauri, and I'm not going to say anything else yet, (laughs) but there is a trick here, and we will mention that in our next episode, unless you want to provide your feedback and say, what are we talking about?
1: (laughs) (laughs) So there you have it, guys. Star formation. And the Orion Nebula. Keep looking up. Is there anything else we would like to add at the end? Uh,
0: yes, there was something else I wanted to say, but I forgot.
1: <laughs> so many ideas in our heads, we can't contain them all. Yeah, sometimes
0: we, we, we definitely can't contain them all. But it was yes. I don't now remember what I was <laughs> going to say. Yeah, I know. I know. I know now why Kristen is so eager to finish recording the podcast, because <laughs> she is just going to the remote observing room here at North Wright uh, Australian Astronomical Observatory. She's going to be observing tonight.
1: Yes, I will be observing tonight starting at a very bright and early 1.30 a.m. I will be taking scans with the 2DF instrument or the two degree field instrument and so um, that, is,
0: that is at the Anglo-Australian Telescope, the 3.9 meters Anglo-Australian Telescope, yes. which is located in Sidon Spring Observatory mm-hmm. near Kunabarabran in rural New South Wales, yep. Australia, around 450 kilometers nor- northwest from Sydney, or more easily, six hours and a half driving from Sydney. Mm.
1: Yes, so I'll be running scans. Hopefully this time, this will be my third try. Of getting data.
0: Yeah, well, the weather—the <laughs> weather—it is what happens. You have been unlucky with. The, well, we have been unlucky in Sydney the, mm-hmm. for the lunar eclipse. People in Melbourne, for example, they just really enjoy it.
1: That's right. I Shout was... out to Alan Duffy who posted a great uh, photo on his Twitter um, on Thursday morning of his view of the lunar eclipse. Oh, I'm very jealous.
0: I was very jealous and actually I disconnected and said, that is hopeless. That is, <laughs> uh, I I'm going to pet and forget about that and tomorrow will be another day in any case. <laughs> it seems that it's going to be clear tonight for you.
1: It's meant to be clear Less than 10% cloud cover so, in Coonabarabran. I am so excited.
0: So you will get your data for your project here at, uh, at uh, oh. Yeah,
1: On my third last day. On
0: your <laughs> le- third last day. But anyway, mm-hmm. for sure, you will you will enjoy it also, also the time.
1: I've so, enjoyed my time very so, much here, yes.
0: So more feedback for the next episode. You will tell us a bit more about your experience.
1: Yes, hopefully a good experience this hopefully, time. <laughs>
0: hopefully that too. I can also mention a bit more Uh, because I have been providing support to the Anglo-Australian telescope for how long, eight years already, something like that. Wow. The majority of the instruments there, and, well, I really love it.
1: I think that brings us to the end of The Scientist, episode three, all about star formation, feedback from the uh, super blue blood moon or just the lunar eclipse, for unhell's sake. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to send us your answers, What is your favourite star cluster and why? And if you have any questions...
0: Please just send also the questions and record the question and I will very happily include it in the podcast.
1: It'll be like you're here with us.
0: Okay, well, thank you very much for for listening and talk to you soon.
1: Clear skies. Keep looking up. Bye-bye. Bye.